What's going on, everybody? Hotep to the family. Welcome back to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective. I'm here again with my pops, Jerome Battle. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the past two episodes. Thank you for the feedback that you have been giving us on the past two episodes and allowing us to feel um, unapologetic about our perspective <laughs> um, to continue this and continue to spread awareness, continue to give knowledge and history of things that maybe the educational system may not have explained some things to you. And um, this podcast will be, um, again, it's about us giving our perspective, us giving our intellect, our insight based off our experiences in an unapologetic way. We're not here to be right. We're, we're here to, to cause you to think. Um, we don't want to be um, right or Bible or 100%. But it is from our perspective. Um, we can agree. We can disagree. We can agree to disagree. But this is just coming from me. Uh, so today's episode is sponsored by. Hold on one sec. Today's episode is sponsored. By Serenity Sense by my wife, Barisha Stevens. And she says at Serenity Sense LLC, we pride ourselves in providing all natural clean burning wax milk products we have a large variety of luxury scents to fit your individual preferences and we take pride in delivering our wax wax melts to you because we are passionate about creating unforgettable fragrances and you can find her on uh, serenity scents on facebook and on instagram and i have a few here that i'm going to smell one is called pink passion <laughs> And this one is called Laundry Day. If I can get this one open. Yeah, yeah. I like I like that one. Laundry Day. Yeah. Like uh, so again, this is sponsored by Serenity Sense. Follow them on Facebook, follow them on Instagram. I'll put the link in the description. Uh thank you, Barisha Stevens, for your incredible business. And I love you, wife. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to get into a um, important topic, um, especially coming off of last week. We want to talk about what we will call the miseducation of the Negro. And if you haven't read The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson, it's a book that should be read by every African-American and every white person or anybody of minority descent um, to understand the school system and why it's still kind of prejudice against African-Americans to keep them from advancing in the United States of America. Uh, so when we look at the miseducation of the Negro, um, we have to go back to the beginning of the school system altogether. Uh, of course, in slavery, um, Africans, African-Americans were not allowed to read and write. Especially in the South, you were killed for it, you were lynched for it, you were sold for it. Um, and even people who had an education, um, at the end of the day, they still were considered of lower status on the, um, on the caste system in, in America. And somebody that comes into play is a guy by the name of Horse Man of creating the educational system. And he was a anti-slavery congressman who believed that the school system should be funded by the government. 
It should be free. It should be everywhere. Everybody should be able to go. And um, it should be an opportunity for anybody of any race, anybody of any social status should be able to go to school and learn. Um, because at the time, especially in the South, um, if you were black, you could go to school. You just had to pay to go to school. And most people couldn't afford it. And most people didn't want their kids to go to school because it was more work to be done on the land of sharecropping, labor, to say, we don't got time to, to send you to school and to pay for it. We need more money coming in, so you should you need to stay at home and work. What are your thoughts on that? First of all, so when I first read the agenda for today and I saw Horace Mann, mm -hmm. I thought – I thought we were going to get into Horace Mann Bonds. Uh, yeah, we, we, Horace Mann Bonds. <laughs> that was uh, the first thing well. I thought. I was like, oh, we get right into it. Right. And then I said, well, I'm, I'm sure he was going back because right. Horace Mann um, was also instrumental in just not uh, African-Americans being educated. But he's also huge, played a huge part in women becoming educators. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think that's important, too, because during that time, uh, you had what people would call women's work and men's work. Mm -hmm. And being a teacher was men's work. And he felt like women should be educated and that women should also be educators. Mm -hmm. He felt that that had a lot, women had a lot of value to the educational system, not just at home, not just being homemakers, but in society in general. So he was huge in that as well. And also looking at it, uh, so we're calling this the miseducation of the Negro. But when you look at, African-Americans in America, especially at that time of um, after the Civil War Reconstruction period, uh, moving on through Jim Crow. One thing that we can't correlate the African-American with on the social status is poor white Americans. That's right. So not only did this give an opportunity to African-Americans, it also gives an opportunity to poor white Americans who collided or combined together and corroborated with each other a lot in the South to because they didn't have anything and they realized that they were being duped by um by the elite white people um to not be educated to be laborers to uh do the dirty work and, and not benefit from it uh so for a article i'm gonna read it says you know man believed that common schooling would reduce uh hostilities among citizens as citizens grew into adults sharing a common educational experience man posted that Different social, economic, religious, and ethnic backgrounds will become less significant. Man's vision for school included a common moral and political foundation, as well as the provision of opportunities for children from disadvantaged backgrounds to achieve self-sufficiency and use education to lift themselves from poverty. So again, we see this is going to be highly beneficial for the African-American and for the poor white, um, for the poor white American. And one of the things that man attempts to do is allow people to pull themselves out of the conditions that they were That's in. That's right. So right out of um, right out of the Civil War, we had what we called they 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 passed the Freedom the Freedoms Bureau. And what the Freedoms Bureau does is it's supposed to give money to the South to basically build themselves back up after the war. And mostly, it's supposed to help African Americans. And poor white people to begin to own land, own property, go to school and learn. But one of the things that they did, they did not put this towards the Treasury Department and did not put this towards the War Department. They created a whole separate department for this for the federal government. And who led it was no other than the Southern rebels who who succeeded anyway. So the money was going to the white schools. The land was going back to the white elite who had it at first. 
um, thanks to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, and you get um, Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson in, who gives the land right back to the people who tore it up in the first place. So right after that, we see through the Reconstruction period that it already creates a... Uh, Almost a cycle. A cycle, Almost right. Almost a cycle. And um, what worried W.E.B. Du Bois about this, he said, you know, even if we were to integrate the schools, who's going to teach them and what are they going to be taught? Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you think about during the Civil War and right after the Civil War, um, when slaves were freed, so now you have people who, in most part, had not been educated at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had whites, uh, low-income whites, who weren't educated. Mm-hmm. And y- now you have no business because, of course, you have no crops, you have no slaves, mm-hmm. you have no homes. Mm-hmm. A lot of those things were destroyed during the Civil War. Now all these people are out here with no jobs, mm-hmm. no education. How do you rebuild? Right. Uh, so obviously the money was supposed to be used to do that. But the people that had the money that was supposed to allocate it, they were the ones that made the decisions of where the money is going to go right. and who's going to benefit from it. And of course, as as always, the the blacks and the low income whites were the ones ones who were left out. One hundred percent. And of course, during this time, remember, this is right after the Civil War. So um, what they call common school at first, man had. Regardless of what age group you were in, you were all in one classroom. So, but especially in a black neighborhood, you could have a five-year-old learning to read and you can have a 70-year-old learning to read. Absolutely. So this was, this was what you've seen in the schools. And a lot of African-Americans didn't care who was teaching them or what they were learning. They were just happy to be learning. So what happens in right after this is John D. Rockefeller comes into play. And with John D. Rockefeller, he's a, what you would consider a millionaire or even by aspects, they some say a billionaire if you if you correlate that with the times is him and a few other um, industrialized companies. They come together about eight or nine of them. And what they do is they donate money to the educational system. Now, as we like to say in the African-American community, if somebody donates money to you, especially a large sums of money then they can have a point of view or a, a say-so in what happens that's right. with that money. And that's one of the things that John D. Rockefeller and those other millionaires did was they donated what could be equivalent to over a billion dollars today. And they started um, developing our educational curriculum. Right, the General and, Educational Board. Right. That's right. So um, an article says the board was created in 1902 after John D. Rockefeller donated an initial a million dollars to his cause. The Rockefeller, Rockefeller family would eventually give over $180 million to fund the General Education Board. Um, so it said uh, that they wanted to create um, jobs and, and workers and here's the problem with this when we look in the educational system is you're being taught to be an employee. When you look at what you're being taught, these guys really wanted you to, to be educated but not intelligent. So when you talk about education in the educational field, most of the time you're learning to be an employee, to go out and the teachers will tell you if you get good grades, you'll learn and go out and get a great job. Right. Um, 
And if you're really good, you can go to college for four years or eight years and get a better job, a higher paying job. But it does not teach you the fundamentals of becoming your own owner. That's right. Um, they wanted you to learn how to communicate. They right. wanted you to be able to understand when I say that you're going to do this job and I'm going to tell you how to do it. I need you to be able to understand what I'm telling you mm -hmm. so that it gets done correctly and I don't have to oversee. Because mm -hmm. you got to remember, we're going from where slave masters had overseers that would oversee what the slaves would do. Right. So now I don't, we don't, we don't have that anymore. I don't have anybody watching what you do. I need you to be able to understand what I'm asking you to do or telling you to do. And then you'd be able to go out and, and be able to do it. Now, obviously Rockefeller was right. He, he did believe that the more educated you become, the better the choices you have, mm -hmm. and hopefully the better the choices will be. Right. He, I mean, that was a, that was a good concept. However, I don't think that he intended, as you say, for you to become intelligent. Mm -hmm. he, and he intended you to be able to communicate and understand what somebody was telling you to do um, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree with that, with that sentiment. So we can, we, we can even look at the school system as you first start off. The first thing you learn is how to follow instructions. That's right. So the class, okay, line up here. Okay, um, everybody draw one line, draw the number one, draw the number two. Don't go ahead of the class. Follow instructions. This is something we learned very early That's on. Right. Um, even if you look at the time you go to school. So the time you go to school is similar to a nine to five job. Uh, from the time you go in to the time you get out to a lunch break, to um, breaks in between, get the class right. on time, understanding tasks. Understanding time management is something that we learn early on in school. And when we begin to look at, I want everybody to just think about when we begin to look at what we learn in school. Okay. Right. So math, let's start with math. Okay. Algebra, trigonometry, geometry. Can somebody please tell me when do you use an isosceles triangle <laughs> in your life? Because I'm still trying to figure it out. Unless you're an architect. The only isosceles we know in the African-American community is Phil Jackson calling the uh, the triangle offense. Isolation. That's the only thing we know. Okay? Reading. You, so you learn English. You learn how to read. You learn how to write. You learn literature. You learn drama. Okay? You learn science. You learn chemistry. You learn physics. You learn biology, anatomy. Okay? You can, you can even learn a foreign language in That's high right. school. Physical education. Okay, we get it. Computer class, shop class. That's right. Okay, so most of these things are things that you learn early on. But we can see early on that we are not learning African-American or Africanness to be able to keep us focused in school. So instead of, we're, we're learning Shakespeare. We're not, no one cares. Right. Okay, don't keep giving me Romeo and Juliet. We don't care about that. Can we get a James Baldwin? Can we get a Zora Hurston? Can we can we read those books? Don't keep giving me Catcher in the Rye. Don't give me the Scarlet Letter. We're learning a Europeanized, um, especially when you don't know what those concept, how those concepts of those 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 readings are going to play in your life later on. Right now, as 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 a fifty one year old adult, I can tell you that there were some really good things in Macbeth that I use in my life. Right. You know, but if you're teaching an African-American that for the very first time in the seventh, eighth, ninth grade, they don't have any understanding of any of those things yet because you haven't taught them anything to lead up to that. Right. Okay. It's like teaching them how to ride a bike and you don't even know how to walk yet. Right. Okay. You have to build up to that. And you're right. They African-Americans need to make some type of association first. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to get into that too, about the difference in learning. 
Oh, yeah. That that obviously uh, black kids are going to learn differently because a lot of this is what led to what we call special education. Oh. And not, not in the terms of a person having a learning disability like we think of it today, mm -hmm. but learning differently. And I think sometimes those two, those two get intertwined because they only had one, one class in school and right. it was called special education. Right. And we're, we're definitely going to get in that um, here in a little bit as well. And just again, we're looking at, we're looking at the, the structure for John D. Rockefeller to try to figure out what did you need that you learned in high school that you use today? That's and right. most of the time, people can't tell you what they needed. The only thing that they needed was in high school diplomas just so you could turn that in and get a job. That's right. That's what most people right. um, finished school for. They didn't learn anything. So as we move forward, we have to look at the educational system to figure out, are you only educating me or am I trying to be intelligent? Because when you're educating me, okay, so you can educate me on how to work with my hands. You can educate me on time management. You can educate me on how to work computers and fill stuff in. But if you're not teaching me to be intelligent, then I'm never looking to run the place. That's I'm right. always looking to, to be a part of the place. You know, Absolutely. some people say that's not my lane. I'm, I understand not everybody wants to run the place. Some people just want to just know, come to work, do their job and leave. I get it. But what about the people that you don't expose that to? That could possibly do so, because let's be honest, especially in the African-American community, one of the best business owners that we know is drug dealers. That's right. Absolutely. And it's because they don't they don't want to work for anybody. That's right. And even drug dealers had to have one common concept, which is mathematics. Right. And we, we think in terms of adding and subtracting all that good stuff. That's great. But really, it's more about the reasoning ability mm -hmm. to, to do mathematics. You have to have reason abilities. And I think that's why math is so important. But also to add to that about educating and, and creating somebody that can be intelligent is also understanding that you have to be able to apply what you learn. Mm -hmm. And we all know that in most cases, most kids are memorizing right. in school. So you're not really learning. You're memorizing long enough to pass the test. I've made this statement many a times. I may have been mentioned it on one of the podcasts previously is that. I know a lot of people that graduated that can't even spell graduation. Right. Um, I know a lot of people that can't figure out what 10% off is when they go into Walmart. Right. But they've graduated. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of people that I've interviewed um, for a position that couldn't fill out a, uh, an application and couldn't fill out, couldn't create their own resume, mm -hmm. which is which is astounding to me. And then you look at the numbers, of course, it's disproportionately uh negative towards blacks when they come to interview because I get their resume and the first thing it says is I pay close attention to detail and they misspelled attention, <laughs> you know? So uh, when you look at things like that, obviously learning because you want them to be educated, but you want them to be intelligent, but then understanding how to apply. There's no reason somebody should be providing a resume and have misspelled words because now you, you can actually, when you type yeah, it, yeah, spell check. you can use spell check. So there's no reason that's being lazy. Right. And something that African-Americans have been called a lot is being lazy. We tend to think that means physically. What do you mean? I'm lazy. I get up and go to work every day. Mentally is what we're talking about. We want you to be active mentally mm -hmm. and, and never be lazy mentally. Do your due diligence before you do anything. Right. And I, I believe if we look at the African-Americans, even in the workplace, most African-Americans, 
they'll tell you a different way of doing something. Even when you first start a job. Hey, look, this is what they tell us to do. But this is how I do it. Yeah, exactly. Right. And a person that got a a black person ain't got a problem telling you what they is and they ain't gonna do oh, it. Because if it doesn't make sense to them, intelligently to them, they're not gonna do it. Absolutely. And what do they call it? They call that being insubordinate. insubordinate. And when we look at the school system, most of the African Americans that do not pass or they struggle in school is because what they consider insubordination, they don't understand why do I need to learn this? That's right. So if you put them in a math class learning algebra, the first thing they're going to ask you is, when will I ever use this? That's right. Because if I would never use this in life, I don't care about what you're talking about right That's now. That's right. Right? So if you keep telling me to read Romeo and Juliet, what does that have to do with what I look when I look outside of my window and I see them every day? That's now, right. if you change that into a James Baldwin, we might have a different conversation. Absolutely. Right. So if Absolutely. we change that to a Zora Hurston, if we change that to a W.B. Du Bois or a Carter G. Woodson, we can be able to get to look at African-Americans and say, hey, I identify with that. I can then, then you're going to start seeing white people struggle on the test. That's right. That you give because they don't understand or can relate to what that author Absolutely. is saying. Absolutely. So when we look at the African-American and curriculum and what we're learning throughout, um, throughout life, we have to understand that it starts at a very young age. Um, so when we look at African-Americans in school, uh, I have an article here that I'm going to read. It says the, op the obstacles facing black children who thirsted for education in the 1930s, the great-grandparents of us, that we would call it, uh, today's black students were enormous. More than 3 million school-aged black children live in the 17 states that continue to operate separate schools, along with 81% of all nations' black population. That's right. So we start seeing the segregation in schools happening. And what the segregation in schools started happening was, of course, the funding was going to the white schools. So the black schools or the black teachers would get um, the old textbooks. That's right. They would get the hand-me-downs. And let's be honest, even with the black educators, what we've seen early on was they didn't have a high education level. They just knew enough to be able to teach. So when you get to the point where a teacher only has an eighth grade level of education, what is she going to do when now you're past the eighth grade and you have to teach? That's right. Those those educators also had the concept of care, mm -hmm. where they cared, but they, they were limited in what they could actually teach. Mm -hmm. um, so caring wasn't enough. Right. You, you want these kids to be educated, and they didn't have the tools. Right. And so what we've seen early on, I brought this one up, is because what we've seen early on is you had segregated schools teaching some different things. But once the integrated schools happen, remember, we have to understand when we talk about integrated schools, you're not talking about white kids going to a black school. That's right. You're talking about black kids going to a white school, which means you're going in there with, number one, focusing on learning. That's I learned right. this from my aunts and our uncles that was in segregated schools. They said the hardest part was focusing on actually learning because you're in a classroom with people who don't like you, who are racist towards you, are saying things towards you. And then number two, the teachers probably don't like you because they're probably racist as well. Absolutely. The principals don't like you. The whole board of education of that district probably don't like you. So nothing is going to be catered towards the African-American once integration happens. That's right. So, I, I'm, I'm from a family, uh, the, the Mills family. Um, my uncles were uh, some of the first blacks to go to Liberty High School. Mm -hmm. And in and, and doing so... It's just like you said, they had to focus on a lot of other things other than learning. Uh, one, 
<laughs> I need to make sure I can uh, be able to get the class, right? Um, let alone learning. That, that's secondary. Let me get the class first without knocking somebody out, right? And then I'll focus on whether I can actually learn. Now, now you get new textbooks, and some of those schools were a lot further ahead mm -hmm. than the black schools, right? So exactly where were they? in terms of learning curriculum wise when they entered that school day one. Mm -hmm. um, so in having to deal with all of that, this was a lot more difficult for black students than people would ever imagine. Right. We always think about, well, not us, but uh, white America always thinks about how difficult it must have been for the white students and for the white teachers. Mm -hmm. How difficult do you mm -hmm. think it was for those black students? Right. And just from experience, Understanding living in Bedford County, going to Liberty High School, whether you went to Liberty, JF, or Stan River, uh, one of the biggest problems, even for me, is it never stopped. That's right. On focusing on learning because, especially if you're considered, you know, smarter, a beyond a row student. That's right. It's very likely that you will be the only African American in, a, in an all white class. Absolutely. And you know how difficult it is to learn when the teacher says something and everybody else knows what they're talking about. Except for Except the African American. You. That's right. And then also, um, shout out to Ms. Reeves, um, rest in peace. Uh, remember during Black History Month, she asked me if, um, if I felt the way about showing the movie Glory. I said, no, Ms. Reeves, Denzel, my favorite actor, show Glory. <laughs> but even with watching Glory being the only African American in the class, whenever the, the N word was said, whenever a racist comment was said, everybody all the white, eyes come back towards like, me. Look at you. It was some snickering. You trying to figure out, is that an inside joke that I don't understand? It, what's going on in here? So even with that, we see already that if you're going to a school, an integrated school that's probably mostly white and less black, even 70, 30, 60, 40, you can very well be the only African-American, even maybe at the most two or three of you in the same class. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Hold that thought. And we are back. Again, this episode is sponsored by Serenity Sense, um, my lovely wife. You can follow her on Facebook at Serenity Sense. You can follow her on Instagram at Serenity Sense or just follow her on Facebook uh, at Barisha Stevens. Uh, How much would that? How much would that cost me? This right here? Yeah. Oh, you can get it for free. But I mean, if I was buying this, mm -hmm. how much would that cost me? Uh, I think these are $5 a piece, I think. I'm not sure. I would have to... Ask my wife. I can let you know in the next commercial break. Okay. Good. All right. So we're back. We're picking back up. Um, thanks to everybody for continuing to tune in. Um, so we're going to move in to what we consider a huge problem in the curriculum is, you know, history being taught from one perspective. Um, the lack of black history in the curriculum, um, especially when we're talking about black history so of course being that there is no a lot of black history in the curriculum um carter g woodson you know what he called black history week right it developed into black history month and we settled on black history month that's why i say black history every day but it just shows you the lack of diversity in the curriculum of the education system that we have to talk about black history separate from the actual curriculum and even when we talk about black history, it's just a celebration that, hey, we'll talk about it. There won't be no test on it. There will not be, these won't be on your SOLs. These will not be on your SATs, ACTs. They're not even required to know it. That's right. Which is, if you want to learn about it, here's what such and such did. Right. This is what such and such is. And we'll move on from there. So what do you think about that? 
I, I agree. I, I think so. The real question would be is why we don't teach black history in school. And I think in a lot of communities, we'll, we'll use the predominantly white schools. Let, let's go there first. Okay. And predominantly white schools, the problem with black history, who's going to teach it? So you come up with a curriculum, and that curriculum is usually devised by a board of education of some sort that's probably comprised of mostly whites. And they're going to use a standard curriculum, right? So you're going to talk about all the people that we've already talked about that most people already know. And you're, not, you're never going to learn about anybody outside of that. But the view of those people are going to be one that's going to be positive and, and American. Because anything outside of that is what? Anti-American. Not going to happen. So are we getting all of the history? Are we getting parts? Are we getting truths? So you got to think about all those things. But we're going to do it. So the other thing about black history that's important is, I think it makes more people from a couple. I think when we start talking about black people in general, you, I think you even had somebody tell you one time, I love hearing about black history. I just like hearing about those bad things that white people did to black people. That's part of the history. It is. And if you feel uncomfortable about it, good, you should. The problem is, why do we care that white people feel uncomfortable about it? That's what bothers me. So when you go to predominantly black schools, why are we teaching more about black, black history? Why are we just using those same people? You hear about Martin Luther King, have loved Dr. Martin Luther King. He did great things for it. But there's a lot more people to learn about other than Dr. Martin Luther King. Right. And we are starting to feel uncomfortable about talking about black people. Right. Um, and, and of course, I go back. Um, is, of course, right after slavery or even during slavery, one of the things that they said was Africa does not have history, which we know that is incorrect. And of course, there are a lot of white people and even black people that look at what they call the woke community as being extra. Right. But with the woke community, what they have did was they start listening to the, the Dr. Henry Clarks. They start listening to the Leo uh, Hansberry. They start listening to the African-American scholars that went back and did the research and said, wait a minute, they were wrong. That's right. We do have history. Matter of fact, a lot of history that they talk about is theirs is actually African history. So when you start to see these people is the reason why a lot of it is not in the educational system is because they were told and they ran with it. And it is incorrect on a lot of things that we are learning here today. But it's a problem for the African-American because one of the things that we understand from talking about Brother Malcolm last week is black people do not have an identity. That's right. So when you tell them that the Africa does not have history, they automatically go away with that African word. Then you talk about American, they don't really have a lot of the history in an American that's that's good anyway. That's right. So now you have this African American who don't identify with Africa or America. That's right. So they're they're stuck. And one of the things that we teach, of course, is to understand true education. You have to understand who am I? Where am I from? How did I get here? Why did I get here? And where am I going? That's right. So already from the first question. African Americans are bad. Who am I? That's right, because the people that they're asking the questions who can't answer. Right. So, so, even, answer. so even if you say who am I and you go off in your name, well, your last name is tied to slavery. That's right. So already we have no identity with, with our African heritage. And to say, you know, where did you come from? 
African Americans don't know unless you're able to trace it back some type of way, which is very, very hard for we, what we already understand. Absolutely. There's only so far you can go back. Now, if you ask a white person where they're from, or they can tell you, they can pinpoint the place in Italy where they're from. They can pinpoint the place of, uh, of England where they're from. Right. They can even tell you, they probably even got pictures of their great, 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 great. We, we, can, we can identify what tribe we come from, and then those tribes have other hundreds of tribes. Right. And then those tribes have hundreds of tribes that, that move. They move. Because when Africans always got their show on the road, they always move. They always move. So already, just from educational standpoint, we can already see the problem. And African Americans of uh, what we see in today's curriculum, whether it's in history, whether it's in literature. Again, this goes back to English, basic English class. How many African American writers or um, nonfiction books or fiction fiction books did you read? Now, if you're from in an inner city, you may have read the autobiography of Malcolm X. But if you're from Bedford County, it is no way that you're going to read that, right? You're going to read the Scarlet Letter. You're going to read Catcher in the Rye. You're going to read some, some stuff that you probably ain't got no interest in whatsoever. So when we begin to look at the beginning, we have to go back to understand this concept to African-Americans and white people that are listening. We have to see the systematic way in which the educational system is miseducating the Negro. Okay. So when you first walk into kindergarten class, first grade, right, they're already teaching you how to learn. You're That's learning right. numbers. You're learning right. letters. Right. Um, they associate the letters with animals and sounds. You're you're learning to be so, right. so you're learning all of this stuff. But when you begin to walk into first grade and second grade, the first person you learn about is George Washington. Now, to the white people, I get it. Your general for Revolutionary War, your first president, he's your hero. I get it for the American reason. But you have to look at it from the African-American perspective that this guy was sold a slave for a bottle of molasses. Hey, let's, let's, go, let's go back a little bit further. He owned this first slave at 11 when his dad died. Right. 11. He, he owned, we keep saying owned the slave. He owned the human being. So he owned an African-American and enslaved. That's, we have, we have, yes. we have he to owned the human slave. being right. at 11 years old. Right. Owned. And that, I know to most people, you can't fathom that because owned is like, I own this bottle. Okay, I own my car, which means I can throw it away whenever I want exactly. to. I can leave it there. Own a human being, right? So I know a lot of times white white Americans don't like to hear these concepts. They don't want to talk about it. But, but I, okay, I, we have to we have, put we have this to. in perspective in how you feel today. He owned his first human being at a mm-hmm. I own the GI Joe. Okay, I own the GI Joe. He owned a human being at eleven. Well, so, again, when we see this, this is the first image. Again, we get it for history part. Well, whose history are we talking about? Right. So we have to begin to take the African-American into perspective. And for everybody that's listening, I want you to put yourself, if you can, in an African-American shoes at age six, seven, eight years old. Let's put, it, let's put, let's put this in perspective. You walk into the classroom and there's a picture of George Washington up by where you can see it. Right. Hero, right? The second person you learned about probably is Thomas Jefferson, That's right. especially in the South, of, of creating the agricultural style of the South, That's right. who had a whole black family That's right. hidden away in his, in his house. Not, not, not far from here. <laughs> so we already see that. And then, who are the, then you, again, you go to the third person, you say Abraham Lincoln. Hey, come on, guys. 
Abraham Lincoln was funny African Americans. You gotta say right. No. We have to look at no. Abraham Lincoln from a different perspective. We have, we have to, to. because yes. Abraham Lincoln, while running for president, when he was speaking the North, he would say, "Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna free the slaves." When he was speaking in the South, he said, "Yeah, I'm gonna free the slaves, but they will go back into slavery." So just work with me here. We're working on something here, right? And even even after freeing the slaves, he said, he blatantly said. There's no way that black people and white people will ever be free together in America equally. And the slaves will either have to go back into slavery. I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. The African and Americans going to have to go back into slavery or go to Central South America That's because right. they can't remain here in the United right. States. And, and, and let's, let's be real. Let, let's be 100% real. And I'm not going to apologize for this. So I'm not going to even preach. That's why we're here. So let's be honest. Abraham Lincoln did not free the slaves because he was anti-slavery. No, okay, let's 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 be real. He freed the slaves because the objective was to win the war. Right. And the only way they felt like, and I'm saying they because he had a lot of pressure from people saying you gotta do this. So it's not like he was just intelligent God that said, This is how we're gonna win the war. He had a lot of people saying, Hey, you gotta free the slaves because we don't want them helping. The rebels. We don't right. want them helping the Confederates. We need you to free them so that we can win the war. So this was about the war, which often was always about money. So it wasn't about freeing right. slaves because he disagreed with slavery. So let's be honest about that. Right. So we have to put that in perspective real quick. We'll do a, a, a quick um, supplemental thing real quick. So when we say he was, he wanted to free the slaves to win the war, we have to understand that the Civil War was not fought to just free the Africans in slavery. That's right. It was fought because the South was monopolizing. They were making money. And the North was not making money because they were paying their workers. And they said, hey, listen, this ain't fair. You got people to do the work for you, and you don't have to pay them. Meanwhile, we do have to pay. So that's why and you know the South said, you know what? We don't have to do it. The North said, yes, you do. We're one. And you know what? The South said, you know what? I'm tired of talking to you. We'll succeed. That's right. We'll succeed. You do what you got. And North said, you can't do that. North said, the South said, that ain't our problem. That's right. It's your problem to figure out. We're going to sell our, we can sell our, um, our crops to anybody in the world. Y'all do y'all, we'll do us. Exactly. So, what the, the, the Emancipation Proclamation did is allow, number one, the slaves to freedom. Number two, it allowed our African enslavers to join the call. That's right. Right? So as we look at Fort Sumter, at the African Americans, if you watch the movie Glory, and how they were able to help the cause, how they were able to, um, if you look at somebody like a Robert Smalls, who That's takes right. a Confederate uh, ship and, and, and flags down the, the Union and say, look, we made it and got myself to freedom, and we helped the war. Even Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. Let's get to that in a second. So, number one, you go George, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln. The three people you learn about That's who right. are blatantly not for African Americans. Okay, Frederick Douglass even said before he spoke at um, one of uh, um, Abraham Lincoln's memorial that, you know, he was not for African Americans. He might have passed something to help, but. He was still um, and, and kind of racist in his way. And even Thomas Jefferson, although I, I, I can honestly say I don't think that he was 100% for slavery, but I, I think that ultimately uh, what he didn't want to do is what we talk about a lot. You know, when, when the, the, the white student asked Malcolm X, well, what, 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 can can I do? Do? What, what can I do to help? 
And he, he said, said no, no. Obviously, he regretted that because there was something that she could do to help. Is talk about racism amongst her family, her friends, her employees, uh, uh, people that she came in contact with on a regular basis. So what Thomas Jefferson would do is he would talk about it, but not publicly. He would put it in his writings. If you read any of his writings, he knew slavery was wrong, and he talked about it, but he didn't do it publicly. He never talked about it publicly so that people could know what his real sympathy was. And we talked, I think we all talked about this just a few days ago, is that obviously some of these political leaders are true to their real, their real beliefs. Right. They're true to the party. Right. And I think that he was true to the party. He was true to that political agenda, not necessarily being true to himself. Right. So, uh, again, when we look at the first few people you learn about, and then they'll throw some African-Americans for us to learn about. And number one, of course, is Dr. King. Um, we'll learn about Rosa Parks. They might even throw in a third grade marshal, but you don't even know what a, a, a judge is at age. You know, that right, at that age. That's right. So already we see those two, plus they'll throw Jackie Robinson in. Now, here's the problem with that. When you show three people, especially George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, when you show them being America's heroes, that may have that owned slaves, own Africans enslavement. And then you show Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Jackie Robinson, attempting to fit in to that group. Automatically, you create in the African American psyche that you're different. Yes. And you're below them. That's right. Right? So already the African American is already seeing the standard. Being white. Yep. Let's be honest. Let's have an honest conversation. So when you see that standard there, you automatically don't want to identify as black. Because most of the people don't even know what black. Most of the time before you get to that to that classroom, you don't even understand what black and white is. That's right. Until you see it up on the wall. Until you start learning about this, because the first thing you learn about African Americans and 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 it is they were enslaved because you can't talk about the Civil War. You can't talk about George Washington. You can't talk about Christopher Columbus. You can't talk about Thomas Jefferson without adding in. Well, what were the black people doing at that time there, sir? Ma'am? That's right. Oh, they were enslaved. Okay. So that's what we that's what we came from? That's, that, that's what we start at. But you're right. Those, those visuals, those early visuals, because... We all know that the, the, the younger you are, those are the early stages of learning. Yeah, and that's when you're, 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 you're absorbing things at a faster rate. Especially pictures. Especially pictures. Visual, uh, that people get. You know, and I'm going to do the right thing with you for a second. Uh, bring your pictures of the brothers on the wall, son. Yeah, exactly. Okay. No pictures of the brothers on the wall. So I don't get to know my place in history. Right. And, and I think that's intentional. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, don't think, I think that's intentional. Now, in the inner city, it was a little different because you saw people of color on those walls. Right. The problem I had is they couldn't tell you anything about it because they followed the curriculum and they didn't want you to. You know, but I had encyclopedia, so I would look at encyclopedias and get that information. I still think a lot of what we learn about ourselves is going to have to come from us. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't work to try to change the system. So that you, the parents, don't have to work as hard. Because I'll be honest with you, a lot of parents don't know a lot of this. So no, it's difficult no. for them to help out it. Because they learn, they learn the same thing that they learn. So Absolutely. you're creating a cycle. And even from experience, going into the elementary library 
and you're looking for somebody that's black. That's, that's right. right. In the library. You're looking for some book. And most of the time, you're only going to find uh, a sports book. A sports book. And, and that's what stars create. So they say, man, you know, the only thing African Americans can do is play sports. Look at what you give us to start off with. Yep. You give us Jackie Robinson to say, hey, he was so amazing. That's right. And then when we go in the library, we only see the autobiography of Shaquille O'Neal. We only see this stuff. That's right. So we are, we're beginning to, to identify with who we are based on what we see right. and what they put in the school system. So some people might say, well, you should teach this at home. Well, let's do the math real quick. Kids are in school more than they are at home. That's right. So if you go to school at 7 30, 8 o'clock, and you're there to 3 30, 4 o'clock, that's most of your day. You're the most, that's the most influential thing in their life a day. Right. So even if you come home, you're probably going to do homework for an hour or two. You're still doing schoolwork. And then your parents, they might come home at 5 o'clock. Then you might have an after-school program. If your parents get off a little later, you might got to go do sports, which means you can get home at 6.30, 7 o'clock. You got to eat, take a shower, study maybe. So you're talking to maybe two hours with your actual family. And the last thing you're going to talk about is school. That's what you've done all day. So we have to understand that the one place that we should be learning this stuff is in is, school. Is in school. Right. So you can't put it on and say, well, you guys should just learn this at home. No, why is it not in school? Either number one, you don't want the African-American kids to know about it. Or number two, you don't want the white kids to know about it because this one might end racism. Now, do, you, do, you, do you think that? And now that we have got it, do you think that uh, that should be part of the standardized testing? What's that? Uh, African-American Yes. Do you think that needs to be included somewhere? Because the one thing that we see, and we see through the Black Lives Matter, lives, uh, lives Matter, all lives matter. That's right. Right? We see that African-Americans, no, we're all Americans. So if we're all Americans, and we're talking about American history, we're talking about African-American history, why aren't we there? That's right. So we, we can't say that all of this stuff matters and isn't important if we don't see it in our everyday lives. So we have to have those conversations, right? That's right. So I believe that's one of the main things that we have to do. So uh, I believe there are a lot of people who are curious. And let's be honest, that most people learn way more when they get out of school than they are in school because they start they start being more exposed to different things um, that you may not see in school. And uh, as our teacher, uh, Dr. Hobble probably Kamene says, I'm surprised that you're surprised. Because when people tell you the perfect lie, the truth becomes unbelievable. That's right. So when you begin to learn all of this stuff, even as an adult, you say, wait, that can't be right. Because I was taught a different way. Absolutely. So when we begin to look at, let's just, let's not even look at the African-Americans for a second. Let's look at uh, Native Americans for a second. So the first thing you learn about is George Washington. That's right. Who killed your ancestors and took their land. So already in and in second, third grade, you're doing powwows, you're doing Native American stuff, but I don't know anything about my people, but you're having fun with my dances and my songs and my, and my heritage, but we can't even talk about the people who were leaders here. Name one Native American leader of a tribe that you learned in school. Right. You don't. But then you tell me, well, that's not important. Then why in the hell is Robert, Robert E. Lee important? Exactly. Why in the hell are we talking about a loser? If he's not important, well, he was the leader. He was the leader. No, yeah. we don't care. Start telling us something that we care about. Let's even let's go George Washington for a quick second because uh, I think this is some some, some information that uh, I'm hoping that a lot of people do some research on. So we talk about George Washington. We talk about the Revolutionary War, where a lot of people have been taught 
that the Revolutionary War was basically us wanting to succeed from, from Britain. And it was based on that concept, concept of taxation without representation. And we wouldn't even get into that because you're already paying taxes when you get your check and then you pay taxes when you buy something. So we wouldn't even get into that. We'll leave that alone. But let's get into what really took place before the Revolutionary War. Okay? Which, just put in perspective, the Civil War came years after the Revolutionary War. Okay? And people want to say that, that was the Civil War was about slavery. No. Let's, let's talk about the Revolutionary War being about slavery. Okay. And I hope, I hope that people take this into consideration every 4th of July. Right. Okay. Independence Day is what they call it. Independence for who? Independence for white America. All right. Now, prior to the Revolutionary War, what happened is Britain, who people got to understand still controlled the United States government at this particular time, had already abolished slavery. And all of their profits, anything that Britain owned, they abolished slavery. The word got back to the United States. Guess what? You're next. They're going to abolish slavery in the United States. And, and here's, here's what happened the North and the South came together to say, this is going to affect our import and export. Without slaves producing that product, that's going to hurt us, like I said last week. Well, and, and that was also a part of the Atlantic trade. Absolutely. So it was going from from Europe to Africa to North America. Absolutely. So once, this, especially in these in South America, That's Central right. America, who were very low in numbers and gets a high amount of slaves, they needed it actually the most. Yes. So that was the real reason. Why you had the Revolutionary War? You can you can call it whatever you want. You know what we doing over here? Don't pay attention to this. Is what I want you to watch. What I'm doing, right? So obviously everybody thought it was what they said. Taxation without representation. It was. It was just who was producing the product? Slaves. Were they getting paid? No. They abolished slavery. Guess what happened? Right. Done deal. Let's go to war. We we got to break away from that. Right. So I want people to think about this war. But I want you to think about every 4th of July, when they light up those fireworks saying, hey, Independence Day, they really saying, we kept slavery. Thank you. Let's celebrate that. So when you're going to buy the fireworks and you think it's all about fun, what do you guys think about that? This is why we start celebrating Juneteenth um, that a lot of people still didn't know about. They did not teach you this in school. They probably do now because, again, what we would call a woke community, Figured this stuff out and said, "Wait a minute, let's uh, let's look at this a little bit harder." Um, as on Roots would say, "I'm so glad those white people got their independence." Would you say, because you mentioned that it would mess up the import and export? Would you say now Mexicans are the new slaves? I would say our Mexican people are. Um, the probably the lowest of the caste system, but and they do it based off of immigration. So when we look at America, we have to look at America is immigration. That's right. The only people that came over here involuntarily is us. You know what I'm saying? So when you talk about immigration, that when you look at what our our brothers and sisters are down there, because that's exactly what they are. That's right. That came from Africa as well. Um, mixed with Native Americans, what 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 they're doing is 
but essentially what our African brothers did after slavery, which means we know how to do the work. That's right. So we'll take the job, and they they got paid lesser, but guess who that pissed off? White people. White people. This is why unions were started. That's right. Unions were started because after slavery, who did the work? White people didn't know how to do the work in the South. Black people did it. So when they already knew how to do the jobs, and they took less money to do it, can't compete with that. Can't compete with that. So the reason why it has nothing to do with gangs, some say MS-13, we know that's not the reason y'all want to close the borders. Because every race commits violence. That's right. And the number one race that commits violence in U.S. history, we know the first. That's right. So we can't, we can't do that. So and then when we talk about drugs, who allow drugs in? That's right. They weren't just doing that out of nowhere. Especially when we, we didn't own ships at the time. So we got to go back to Reagan and them. That's right. So the Make America Great, and one of the things that he stood on was building that wall to keep Mexicans out. That's right. You know, and I, and I think that, you know, you think about, to, you think back to slavery where it was to keep the African Americans out of Absolutely. And, and that's the that's the whole concept of the slogan. Make America great again. Well, and again, not just African-American brothers, but to a lot of African brothers who were also Native Americans. When was the, the first wall built was in New York by our enslaved Africans to keep Native Americans away. So when we look at walls being built, in land to keep people out, we have to say, well, why are you keeping just them out? Why aren't, why aren't the Asians being kept out? Because we have to look at the funneling of government. So when Asians come over here and start businesses, it's because China or Asia or whatever, they have they have deals in the place with America. Okay, we'll import, export. And when, and when our people, people come over there, you give them opportunity. That's right. And when your people come over here, we give them opportunity. This is when you look at the wars, the allies and the axis, it completely changes from World War One to World War Two. So there's a lot of deals in place that deals with import exports that that backs the people. So one reason, like we talked about last year, why Africans don't have access to capital is because we're not backed by anybody. Africa is trying to to do away with the colonialism that they have to deal with themselves. So Koreans can come over here and start business because Korea has a deal with America but not bring capital. They don't have America. And if, if, if somebody's killed here, that's Korean or Vietnamese or Asian or Italian. Because I think Italy was one of them. That's right. Somebody was killed here that was Italian, and Italy said, "Do y'all want to go to war? Y'all better fix it." That's right. Because, and, but you think they're gonna do that? There's nobody in Africa to speak for us like that. That's right. So when we begin to look at the borders, we have to understand the deals that are in place with other countries, and there's no deal really with Mexico. So until there is a deal. That's, they're going to continue to use that as as an, uh, an agenda. But you can quickly see where none of that had anything to do with any type of rights. That's all monetary. What value do those individuals bring when they come? That's what it's all about. It's about money. Right. So uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Again, this episode is sponsored by Serenity Sense. Uh, get your... Get your scent, your wax, your wax melts from my wife. Follow on Facebook at Serenity Sense, on Instagram at Serenity Sense. Um, yeah, continue to support. Again, support our black businesses, um, our black entrepreneurs, 
that are giving back to our community. Uh, so moving right along, um, you, you you talked about some earlier of special special education. Uh, let's let's move into that because um, when we talk about special education, I remember being in school and I remember they used to come get four specific kids out of the class, and of course everybody else thought it was funny. Right, because you're dealing with kids, so people thought it was funny. Or they're slower than us, they're retarded. We use right. those, you use those type of words. We're just being honest, and I don't think we really knew what special education was. Absolutely. So, uh, can you talk about that? For yeah, a I think for most of us, when we talk talk about special education, and for some reason, this would seem to be consistent no matter what school. The classes seem to be at the end of the hall. Call them corner classes. Right. I don't know why they always put them at the end of the hall, but they were. It seemed like no matter what school you were in, those classes were at the end. And they particularly had students that appeared. So we go back to the visual. The visually looked different than other students. Mm -hmm. Um, and most of that happened because some of them actually have physical handicaps. Mm -hmm. But you also had in that special education was kids who learned differently, mm -hmm. had no physical handicap, and in most cases had no mental handicap. They learned differently. Mm -hmm. um, I can honestly say I have friends that learned differently, but they were just as smart as I was. Right. They just learned differently than I did, and they were in those classes, which actually taught me the difference because I was just like any other kid. I would think it was the retarded class. I know you can't use that mm -hmm. word like talking about it anymore, but we really thought that that's what it was. That's what we called it. Inappropriate today was inappropriate then. Right. But really and truly, it was kids who learned differently. I had a lot of friends that were in classes that end up doing things. Right. Some became FBI agents. Some became doctors. Some became lawyers. But they were in those those classes. Right. Um, and it was because kids learn differently. If you put this in perspective, we're all individuals, mm -hmm. which means individuals can think differently, speak differently, obviously learn differently. Mm -hmm. But you have a standard way of learning. Right off the top, you know that's not going to work. Right. And then let's go one step further. Let's add in difference of race. Mm -hmm. We can talk about blacks and whites being treated equally, but you cannot deny the fact that they are different. Right. And what I mean by that is you can take a poor white and a black, same level of education, clean them up, send them to a job interview. One benefit the white, the poor white person has, they're white. Right. Okay. People learn differently. So in order to do that, you need to look at your standardized testing to figure out how I can teach these kids to learn, not at the same level, but to get to the same goal. Mm -hmm. So special education was a way of doing that. Uh, and I like to add, special education a lot of times really had nothing to do with education at all. It had to do with dealing with what we call your behavioral issues, anger management, because there were a lot of them that were smart enough, but they... They were called disruptive. Disruptive. That's so right. again, learning differently. So if you put... And I'll go back to me. I was never considered special education, but I did see a social status in, in school uh, in fifth grade. In fifth grade, I was in um, an African-American um, teacher's class. And he came to my mom one day. This is right when they start actually separating us in classes. And he came to my mom one day. He said, hey, he's in the what we call the normal um, 
the, the normal class, which means everything moves at a normal pace. Then we have another type of class that moves in the more advanced place. And he said, I want to put him in the more advanced place because as an African-American student, I feel like we should have more in there and I feel like it would be beneficial to him. So my mom moved me over there into, into that type of class and my grades dropped. Same material, that's right. but my grades dropped. And what I understood was because I was the only African-American in there. So when you put me next to my homeboys, I can learn better. I can be comfortable with learning. I can even help them. That's right. But when you put me in with people I don't know, I'm hesitant to answer questions. I'm hesitant to raise my hand. I'm hesitant to do a lot of things. It's because closed down. Right, because my the environment was different. And I've seen this in high school. I've seen whenever I was in the AP advanced classes, I was a little bit more timid. But you put me with my homeboys, oh, man, I feel like I'm the smartest one in the room. So I'm going, my confidence is going to be better. So when you, I think it, it also goes back to what environment you're in. And when you automatically start separating these kids, putting them into an environment that's different from everybody else, you're crushing their, their confidence. Because the same people who were in special education in the second grade was in special education in the 11th grade. So you already crushed their confidence, and now they feel like they're not smart. And we've seen throughout history that people that you may seem retarded, dyslexic, whatever the case may be, ended up being some of the most um, intellectual people you ever met. Right. They just didn't learn the way that you were trying to teach them. And obviously, I think you're putting teachers in a situation to make decisions that they're probably not qualified to make. Right. Now, however, in your situation, I know that that was a good decision because obviously you, you could learn at a faster pace, and you did. And I'm glad you didn't tell them what happened when you got the bad grade and what I said to you. I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, you were able to do the work. Right. Um, you were able to live up to what that teacher thought that you could do. Mm -hmm. However, what if he was wrong? And what about the situations that probably happens where teachers are wrong in making that assessment? Right. I'm not sure that teachers are the best ones to be making that decision in those situations. Right. Um, and obviously, and we, we're going to get into this a little bit too. When you have a black educator that has a black student that sees something, see something special, I would applaud that. Be, be personal. Mm -hmm. I would applaud that. I'm not saying that they're the best to make the decision. I'm just saying that I want you to identify somebody that you see something in because you have some type of relation, right. some type of association because you're black, they're black. Is that fair? I, I don't know. All I know is that at the end of the day, he's trying to make sure that this black student get a better level of education because he deserves it. He's intelligent enough to do it. And it's my job to see that it happens. Right. I'm okay with that. Uh, however, I, I don't know if everybody in, 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 in that situation is going to agree with that. Right. And I, and I also believe the way that we learn is how it's communicated to you. So, again, going back to the black educator, I know most of my friends, whenever the teacher was African-American, they learn better. They listen better. Statistics show that. Right. Statistics not only show that if you have a black teacher and a black student that they learn better. It even says that if you have a school that has more black teachers, even if the students aren't in their class, mm -hmm. just the fact that they want to feel more comfortable, like you talked about, mm -hmm. they feel more comfortable. But it goes back to that visual we talked about when you first go into kindergarten and first grade and you see a picture of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson and Abe Lincoln. Right. You get that visual. Mm -hmm. OK, I'll be honest with you. There was times that I went into classes and I looked for black people. 
I mean, I'll be honest with you. I went to schools. We played basketball, and I would look for black people. When you're playing basketball, man, Shaquan would go in the gym and look for black people. Right. You know, so obviously you're always looking for that level of comfort no matter where you're going, especially when you know that you're going to be the minority. Right. Because you're not just a minority in color. You're the minority a lot of times in concepts and the way that you think and the way that you behave or they expect you to behave. Right. So I think behavior plays a big part in what happens to black kids in our school system. I'll give you an example. When we talk about special education and then we talk about standard testing, and we'll use the standard testing as an example, Okay. We'll especially in Virginia, standard testing is not only about education, it's about funding. How much money is going to be allocated to that particular school once you're accredited, mm -hmm. okay? And that's based on test results, mm -hmm. okay? The best way to get the, we talked about this the other day, all-star game, um, player was, what, 12 for 12 from the field? And everybody says, stop shooting. Why? Keep your percentages high. So stop uh -huh. shooting, right? So in an educational system, if you have black students that one have behavior issues or learning disabilities or just not performing as well as they need to, the best way to get your test scores up, don't have them test. Right. So what do you do? You come up with no zero tolerance. Zero tolerance, which means if you behave badly, bully, whatever it is, we have zero tolerance. We get you out of the classroom. Right. Guess what happens? You don't get the test. You can't hurt my test scores. Mm -hmm. So obviously that hurt us disproportionately in the classrooms. There people will not talk about when you talk about standard testing. And I think that's important. I'm not 100% against standard testing. I'm just against the way that you, you the system does not take in consideration that all individuals learn differently. Mm -hmm. More so when you take a black student versus a white student. Mm -hmm. You can't have a standard, one, that's created based on the average white student. Mm -hmm. That's the standard. Right. How does that fit us? That, and that, that shouldn't be the standard because you're looking at white people being the, the superior and black people being the inferior when Absolutely. you create white people and their way of being the standard. But when we look at special education, man, you just had this conversation the other day was, whenever I read, I have to put on headphones. To drown out noise. That's right. And and be able to focus on the pages. I some places I can't read at. So if I can't read in the bed, I have to read on the sofa to where I'm free and not feeling tired. Also, when if you ask a student, me especially, to read out loud to the whole class, mm -hmm. I'm more focused on getting every word right than actually understanding what it is you're having me read. That's right. So when we begin to talk about the difference in us learning. We have to understand the way everybody learns is going to be different and the way that the teacher communicates to people are going to be different. And just going off your standardized test, um, I came across an article that says uh, the use of standardized tests has its origins in, in the eugenics movement, which asserted that certain races were inferior to others biologically and intellectually. The original IQ test was designed by a, a French psychologist named Alfred, um, Alfred Benet for um, and limited use on young children who were not developing normally as general tools to make general decisions. Not precise measurements for precise decisions to signal when a child needed more help in the intellectual development. So already we see standardized tests come from trying to separate, especially racially. That's right. So we, we already see that when you look at standardized tests, one of the things that they teach you by, by practicing for the SOL, practice for the SAT is 
go. You should be two answers. You should go and already know, already mark out as wrong. That's right. And then you can decide between the other two answers which one is possibly right. That's right. So even with teaching standardized tests, you're not finding the right answer. You just know all the wrong answers. Yeah, especially <laughs> when a lot of the standardized testing has moved to multiple choice. Multiple choice. <laughs> so again, this is not the best form to standardize anything in terms of learning. Right. So what you have is you have standard testing, not standard learning. Right. And that's what we want is standard learning. The difference between educational equality and educational equity mm -hmm. is is the value of what that what that child is learning right and i think that we are more in educational equity than right. we are educational uh equality well even even if we look at standardized testing on the sats when you look at the let's just look at the literature part where you have to read the paragraph and answer the sentence now for most white people when they use metaphors that you're used to idioms that we call it are phrases that's right. so if it's raining cats and dogs on a standardized test you understand that. that's right you don't hear that in a black household I, 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 this is a great great example dr miss mcginnis who who uh is was a at the time was a principal at body camp elementary when we started hoops kid program and we 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 took that program out to body camp at a, at one juncture and what we did is said okay in order for the kids to participate in the basketball part we want to get them in the classroom. So we had them do some 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 uh, SOL testing. So you had to do these tests before you actually participated in the basketball part. And what we found out is when a child read the question itself, mm -hmm. he struggled. But when he put headphones on and had the question read to him, to them, they performed a lot better mm -hmm. because of the, some of those issues you just claimed is that when they're reading, they're so focused on trying to get every word right or try to understand exactly what it was saying, they could not process the answer to the question. Right. So, so that was huge. And, and us being able to, to, to determine some of these kids are very intelligent. The problem is, is that they're unable to read it and then understand what the question is and formulate the answer. Right. So how, once again, how kids learn is really important. And I think it's important that the school system does a better job in understanding how kids learn, mm -hmm. but it's important for parents to get involved in their kids' education. Right. Very important that you figure out how your child learns versus how other kids learn. Right. And then report that to your teachers. Right. I think that's important. But you know, uh, Jason Yon has that, he had that similar like last year when they took that, they, they make you take this test to see where you at. Mm -hmm. He didn't he didn't do too good on it. So this year, us teaching him at home, he blew the test off the water. There you and go. The teacher was like, "Why?" I told her, I said, "Because not only do I know how he learned, Jason understands better if I read the question to him. That's right. If he read it himself, he will not know what that answer is. But if I read it, oh, he'll he'll blow through the test quick right. and." Even when your kids start, I think it's preschool, you got to go to these meetings where they teach you how your kid learns. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, nobody, Should be the other knows, way around. No, nobody <laughs> knows how my child learns better than me. That's right. Because I'm, I'm with them. Right. And in those classes, none of them are black. They're all, they all talk about white people. That's right. right. So Jason understands more coming from me because I'm black. He's black. He can identify. Right. right. He identifies what I'm saying better because I'm black. That's right. Versus a white teacher teaching him something like that. Right. right. So, so for the people that's listening, if you, if you think we're making this about race, we have to because of what the race standard has been. 
So when we're talking about a black teacher teaching a black student, it has nothing to do with just being black. It's understanding heritage and culture behind it. So if I read a, a question on a, a standardized test that is European or white American that I have, I have no understanding of, there are words in there that I just don't understand because I don't hear it in my household. A black teacher can put it in perspective for you. Now, I do want to say this because there, there are some phenomenal white teachers out there. Phenomenal white teachers that can teach math, history, um, English, language, that, that really tries to identify with the black people. That's right. But in order to truly identify with the African-American, you have to be able to live in their shoes. You have to be able to go through their experiences. You have to be able to live in their communities, live in their neighborhoods. So when we watch movies like Freedom Rider or Dangerous Minds, right. those teachers did an incredible job because they put it into perspective that they will understand. Now, when you have standardized tests, this was a problem in both of those movies. When you have standardized tests, you're not teaching what they should be learning to, to pass a test. That's right. So you're, you're, you're educating, you're, you're teaching them to be intelligent. But you're not educating them. And this is a problem that we have in our school system. So, again, one of the things that, um, so we have to come to a solution, Pops. What are some solutions that we can have? Well, the, the first thing is, is, I know we talk about trying to have white, white, white America uh, be in the shoes of, of, of black America, which is difficult. It's going to be almost impossible. But what I would like to say is, is that you don't have to be in their shoes, but listen to the people that are wearing those shoes. So listen to Black America when we're telling you that your standardized testing is only standardized testing. It's not standardized learning. Right. It's not standardized education. Mm -hmm. Listen to us when we're telling you that. That's, that's first. Right. The second thing is, let's, let's go to the SOLs again, because I, 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 this is, to, to me, these are things that I think anybody can understand. Uh, we, we also looked at uh, Dr. Mark, uh, uh, Marvin McGinnis when we were doing these SOL testings. We looked at some of the, the questions. And it had things like um, uh, water spigot, turn the water spigot off. And what does that mean? Me coming from the north, even at 20 years old, I probably didn't know what a spigot was. Right. You know what I mean? My dad didn't talk about a spigot. He called it a faucet. Or he would say turn the damn water off. Right. Okay. We didn't hear terms like that. So how would you expect a, third, a, a, a child that's in the third grade to know what a spigot is? Right. And, and, and tell me, what class did they teach that in? Right. And, and then the, the problem with that is you would say that's the standard that they should know on whose standard. On whose standard. So if you're telling me this is the English language that I should know, who's basing that standard off there? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So who's creating that standard? Because it's you that's created that standard. Absolutely. You've got, you know, the other thing is, is and I just want people to think about this. If you Google right now, what does the statistics say? If you take a white, if you take white students and put them in a predominantly black school, predominantly black class, how do they fare? I'm curious to know because I tried to Google it, I got nothing. Right. So I'm asking somebody. I have an educate. We have educated as an aunt. My, uh, uh, Janet, my aunt Janet Mills was a was a school teacher for many years, mm -hmm. and an awesome teacher. Right. And I, you know, I know, think one of you or both of you had her as a teacher for. Well, she had. I, I was supposed to have her, and she said it was conflict. Conflict of interest. That's right. You know, and obviously, and and we're not taking anything away from educators. Uh, Doctor Mar uh, or Marvin McGinnis was a principal. And he's, he's still a teacher. They're one of my favorite people in the world. Now, we're not taking anything away from you folks. What we're trying to do is to, we want to equalize this thing for the Afro-American Afro student. And we need to get to education equality, not standardized testing. 
And to me, that's the solution is start looking at how we can come up with standardized education, standardized learning, mm-hmm. not standardized testing. Right. That's to me, that's one of the biggest solutions is, is, is trying to identify some of those standards. And, uh, Jason and I had a question on one of the tests this week. It was the definition of peers. And it showed them, uh, I don't know what it was, but it was piercing like something. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Dad, I don't know what that is. And what piercing is. Yeah, but I told him, I said, think about your ears. He immediately got it. That's right. Right, because right. you're piercing your right. ears instead of piercing. Right, right. 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 We're associated differently. Right. We're associated totally differently. You know, and it's, it's a lot of it's cultural. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't get away from that. I understand that we've always talked about equal rights, and mm-hmm. we always tra- talk about being treated equally. We to always who? talk about that. And to who is the question? Right. Now, even you look in the health field, you guys are going to hear all the time about the BMX, the, the body mass index, BMI, mm-hmm. yeah. um, your height and what your weight right should be. Right? right? Guess what that's based on? The average white man. Right. So not only are blacks excluded from that, Black women are the furthest from that than anybody right. because it's not even based on females at all. Right. So you look at these things, everything's based on the average white person. Mm-hmm. Where do we fit in? Right. How does that apply to us? Right. Why is your standard testing? So you're telling me that white is right. And, and we've heard that from, you know, as being kids, white is right. right. White right. is not right. So even if you look at that from the African-American community, one of the, the key phrases is, if you talk that way, back into the African-American community, the first thing you say is, you talk white. That's right. Now, most people say you should say you talk educated, but when you talk about education, the standard is white people, so you talk like them. Because you can be educated and not talk white. Exactly. So, um, and, and that is the phrase. And I want to go back real quick, because I, I just said something without knowing that I said it, you know, with um, Janet Mills saying that, her teaching me was a conflict of interest of me being her cousin or, or auntie. Right. You're being her so, nephew. Great so nephew. When you look at that, the reason why is because she knew she was going to be harder on me than anybody else. That's right. So that's just, that is my solution is we need more black educators that are going to hold our African-American kids with accountable. accountable for what they do. So, again, Miss Duncan, um, Eighth grade. She was a white lady, but she was a nun. But she understood African-American students. And I was cutting up in her class one day, not doing the work. And she went in, she put her arm around me, and she whispered in my ass. She said, get your shit together. I said, yes, ma'am. And I did the work. Because if you talk to me like that, I can identify with that because that's the way my mom talked to me. So I, I, I feel like you care about me and you understand me because of the way you communicate to me. And she understood how to communicate to African-American students. And most African-American students know how to, African-American teachers know how to, to, to do that as well. So I know a, um, a, a, he wasn't a teacher, but he, he did a lot of walking around with bad kids. And he would pull kids out of the classroom and talk to them. Because he knew if he's yelled at them in the classroom, you ain't going to do nothing but set that kid off. Yeah. Mr. Taylor, you, you ain't going to do nothing but set them off. You pull them so out. I got to pull them out. So a lot of white teachers don't understand it when it comes to black students. Don't embarrass them. That's right. Do not yell at them because the first thing they're going to say is, you ain't my mama, you ain't my daddy. Don't talk to me like that. And there are adults in the workplace that still say that. They still say that. That's right. So uh, Aunt Janet not only held black students to a high regard, but any student. You know how many white students came to me? Once they figured out that was my aunt. Your aunt's tough. She's tough. I don't like her class, but she's tough. Right. 
and you know, I, I had a similar experience, but I, it wasn't with the, a black teacher. It was with a white teacher. Um, you guys know Coach Cutler. Um, his wife was an English teacher. And I remember I got to be in her class. Yeah. First B I ever got in my life. And it was the last B I ever got in my life. And, you know, and I was like, I told my mom, and I was like, how did I get a, how did I get a B? I'm killing it. What are you talking about? So, you know, like parent, uh, parent teacher conference, my mom went and she said, yeah, Jerome, you, you should have gotten an A. The problem is you're an A student that didn't apply yourself. I'm not going to give you an A for that. You got a, you could have gotten an A by doing absolutely the bare minimal. And that's what you did because you're smart. She said, but that's not an A in my class. Apply yourself. Okay. And when you think about that, I always use black kids in a general sense. When you think about the black kids, because I can speak about the black kids because we work with the black kids in the community. Behavioral problems are probably the biggest issue we have in getting them to conduct themselves in a manner that they can. So when you have a teacher that's telling you you're not applying yourself, you got to really look at yourself and go, because you can't lie to yourself. You can lie to anybody else. You can lie. I wasn't studying. It was just me cracking the book, you know, take a test, I'm good. Just general smarts. Not a big deal. If you start applying yourself, the sky's the limit. How do you get kids to have behavior issues to one start applying themselves? So that's gonna be has to be a part of the solution. You think about program, you think about funding, you talk about standard testing, we talk about allocating funds to these schools that are uh, um, that are accredited based on test scores. So when they don't get the money, what's the first programs they start cutting? So if you go back to first grade, second grade, third grade, the thing that Afro-American students identify with other than just black teachers is going to be music, recess, sports. What are the first programs they start cutting when you don't get accredited? Music, recess, sports. All right, things that black kids excel at. Mm -hmm. And you take that from them. How many kids we know probably graduated because they played sports? Oh. And even if they didn't graduate, they stayed in school at least through that sport. Right. Because of that sport. Right. You know, um, we've got to figure out a way how to say, I need you more than just playing basketball. Mm -hmm. But you have to have educators, parents, community leaders showing these kids more than appreciation of what they do on the on the playing field. Right. All right. I, I've seen we talked about this before. I've seen fathers show up at football games in Bleeder High School. Never seen them at a rec game before. Never seen them at a parent teacher conference. Never seen them when their son was playing the, the clarinet in the band. Never seen them. Football field out there. You know, we've got to do a better job at supporting our kids when they're doing things other than sports. And that's what we that's that's one of the solutions that I think as a community, as a family as a parent, that we can start doing to help our kids. And sports that normally black people don't play. Oh, absolutely. Like, like, like soccer. Like soccer. All right. that thought. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll come back to wrap this right on that. And we are back to wrap this up again. This episode is sponsored by Serenity Sense. Follow on Facebook at Serenity Sense. Follow on Instagram at Serenity Sense. Um, so, again, we were talking about solutions. Uh, for my solution, again, I'm going back. To the beginning when you first walk into a classroom. So again, look, you can keep your pictures of George Washington, but put up a picture of Harriet Tubman beside George Washington, who also served 
in the, in the military. So we, we have to understand that too. So she just didn't do the Underground Railroad. She just didn't free slaves. She just didn't do all of that. She had a hand in the political movement and, and revolutionary movement throughout America. So have them pictures. Don't even put them high up on the wall. Put them down where they can see it. Put it down to where their face, when they walk past the, the, the board or, or outside the door, they're staring at Harriet Tubman. Not just black kids, but let white kids see. That's right. You know, because my daughter said, you know, they watched a, the uh, Harriet Tubman movie, and one of the white kids was snickering throughout the whole movie. It's because he's never he's never identified with it. That's right. So if you want us to identify with the George Washington and Thomas Jefferson's, then put up Harriet Tubman, Booker, put T. Booker T. Washington, give me W.B. Du Bois, give me James Baldwin, give me Carter G. Woodson, put up those pictures, put up um, Benjamin Banneker, Benjamin Banneker, put up um, Mr. Smalls, put up all of these people who done great things in America, Frederick Douglass, give me all of these people, give me them. That's right. Put them there, put them on the wall so the African-American kids especially can see them and say, okay. That's us. Okay. I yeah. can relate. Yes. I'm ready to learn. That, yeah. that, that's what you hope would happen. Is right. I'm ready to, I'm comfortable. Right. I, I, I feel like I fit in. I, whether people will admit it that or not, everybody wants to fit in. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to fit in. The reason why you have people, it's high school students doing things that they shouldn't be doing is because if the masses are doing it, they want to fit in, they're going to do it too. Right. So if you if you say, hey, let's, let's start being more constructive and having kids fit a certain mold, then put some pictures of African-Americans on the wall. Early. Right. Let's get them seeing those visuals of them being important, right. being having value. Right. And then they will feel like I fit in. I deserve to be here. Right. Even in war, give me the show me the Tuskegee Airmen who were just school teachers and regular people That's coming right. to fly airplanes. Show me the 369th infantry in the World Wars. Show me these. Show me them. Don't just talk about the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. Show me the African and Americans that played a part in it as well. That's you right. have to begin to show black images at an early age so, so African Americans can identify with somebody other than a great Jackie Robinson, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, who were fitting in. That's show right. people that stood out. Uh, you, you go a step further. You can watch CNN today. And with some of the things that's going on today, they're quick to show you video footage of um uh what's the brother that got beat down <laughs> uh, uh driving the car uh, running rodney king. rodney king they quick to show you the footage of rodney king they quick to show you the footage of george floyd right. they quick to show you that footage but they don't show you a whole lot of footage regarding uh benjamin banneker right. and talking about what he did in, in building washington dc right. the capital of the, of the united states they don't you, you don't talk. They don't talk about that. Right. In fact, I bet a lot of people going right now. Who's Benjamin Banneker? Right. You know, they probably don't even know. But, you know, Booker T. Washington. Right. You know, so I, I, I just employ people to do some research. Mm -hmm. Do your research. Do your due diligence. Because value is in education. Right. There's value in understanding certain things about not only where you came from, but how you've been miseducated about black history. Right. And again, if and if you're not going to do that, then at least let us come up with our own concept of who these people were. So if you're going to give me George Washington was the general, was the first president, then tell me the bad things to me so I can figure out whether he's a good person or not. That's right. Don't just throw it down my throat and say he's a hero. Let me decide. So don't create the curriculum so you can uh, come to the decision for me. 
Let me decide. That's right. Let me decide for them. So, again, we can go further in America. Don't just start with slavery because we know Africans were much more than just slavery. Can we go back to the Mali Empire? That's right. Can we go back to the Ghana Empire? Can we go talk about the um, the Mandinka people of, the, of, of Guinea and West Africa? Can we talk about Nubia? Can we talk about uh, the Kushites? Can we talk about the African role in, in, in Egypt that y'all want to separate from Africa, which we know is not true? Can we talk about that? Can we talk about the role that they, that they played? And don't just talk about European history. Can we talk about the Moors that go into Europe? That's right. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about things that everybody can be influenced by? Not just African American. We talk about Native American history. What? Did, what they were just here and they died? Can, exactly. we, can we talk about it? And the reason they don't want to talk about it because it's all negative towards white America. Right. They don't. They don't want you to know. Can we? Can, can we have those conversations? Can we talk about the? Can we talk about Asian history? Can we talk about the Great Wall? Can we talk about the Mongol Empire? Can we talk about the Chinese empires? Can we talk about it? Can we, if this is America, freedom, where we have different cultures, different races, and we're all American, then we have to go back and talk about everybody's history. That's right. Because if you want me to believe that you did for oh so long that Christopher Columbus discovered America. And we all know he did. <laughs> if you want me to believe some of these things, if you want to believe, want me to believe that the John Rolfs of the world, uh, the people that came into Jamestown, did, did you want me to believe all of this stuff? If you want us to believe that Abraham Lincoln cared about <laughs> black people, then we got to have real conversations. We got to talk about true history. So, so people say, what, what can we do about racism? We got to go back and look at history. And you got to be honest about we it. We got to be truthful about it. We got to have honest conversations about it. Because most people would tell you about their white privilege and say, okay, you understand that you, you have white privilege. Are you willing to give it up? And, and that's, the, that's the fact. I mean, actually, there was a, um, a doctor. I can't think of her name, but she did a, um, a survey. She had an audience, a live audience. And she said, I want everybody to stand up. And everybody stood up. And they said, if, if, if you're white, I want you to remain standing. And they, the black people would sit down. And it said, for the white people that's, that's standing, if you would like to be treated like you know that black people have been treated in America, I want you to remain standing. Mm -hmm. And they sat down. So obviously they know that they're being treated differently. Mm -hmm. So white America gets the privilege just for being white. Mm -hmm. Where so and, and white people know that. Mm -hmm. They won't admit it. They won't admit it. But you have a a you have a a a, a privilege that you get just for being white. Mm -hmm. We have what seems like to be a curse just for being black. Right. And and law adjustment, uh law and justice, you you are supposed to have a trial of jury of your peers. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you from experience, none of jurors look like me. Okay? <laughs> none of them look like me. So how are they my peers? Uh, because they live in the same community that I did? We didn't get the same level of education, and they had a privilege that wasn't afforded to me. Mm -hmm. So how, how are they my peers? Right. So I, I want um, white America really has to start thinking about one stop apologizing. Okay. I, I don't I don't, don't want to hear your apologies. Mm -hmm. I, keep your reparations. You, we, we don't want that. You know, I don't want your sympathy. I don't, I don't want that. What I want you to do is be honest with me. Be honest with yourself first. Mm -hmm. But be honest with me. You view us as different. I'm okay with that. Okay, we view you as different, right? But we want to be treated fairly. Mm -hmm. We want to be treated fairly. So when it comes to education, we know that at least I believe that in most communities, 
um, education can be an equal, can be an equalizer. Mm-hmm. The more educated the community is, that community is going to probably thrive mm-hmm. because people are going to go out and they have access. As George Washington and, and, and Rockefeller believe, is that the more educated you are, you have better choices and you probably are going to make better choices. Mm-hmm. So it starts with education. Right. And, and uh, to close this out, I believe to understand the African-American thought system, even for African-Americans, we have to go back and we have to look at the chronological um, eras of history again. So when you begin to say, why can't, why don't black people own land? Why can't they start businesses? Why can't they pick themselves up? We have to look at the systematic way of education and look at the systematic way of oppression that we've seen in this country. So if you don't know your history, so if you're just saying that they have the same opportunities that I have, that is incorrect. You don't know history. You don't understand redlining. You don't understand the the, 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 the denial of loans and, and home property. And you even when they did brought property, you don't understand that how they were burned down, how they were ran out of town, what we call sundown towns. If you don't understand history, there's absolutely no way you can understand the African-American psyche and you cannot understand the structure of American prejudice against African-Americans. So again, the educational system is just one way. But through the educational system, we can begin to look at the the ways to to combat that by understanding having conversations not to not to be correct but having conversations to understand different perspectives and why we think this way why we're like this way and number number one why we're treated this way exactly so again thank y'all for tuning in on the mighty mighty motivation network um we'll see you again next week love y'all hotep to the family